Welcome back to Growth Colony. For those of you who are first-time listeners, you'll be hearing from B2B founders, CMOs, and marketing leaders. We chat about the newest and most effective tools and strategies in the B2B space. I'm Alex Hipwell with Xgrowth, and your co-host for this podcast, where we go candid with our guest successes and failures, so you don't make the same mistakes. At least, hopefully you don't. Let's dive in. Thanks again for joining us at the Growth Colony. My name is Shaheen from Xgrowth, and today I'm sitting down having a chat with Rohan, the Chief Executive Officer of Avana. Now, we're going to talk about how Avana managed to pivot its, some of its services and capabilities during Corona and due to the impact of Corona, move away from some of the core services and introduce some new services and how that pivot looked like. So uh, as I said, I'm joined by Rohan, who is going to share a little bit of, uh, a little bit of that story with us. Thanks a lot for joining us, Rohan. Thanks for having me, Shaheen. Happy you're well. Absolute pleasure. Yes, absolute pleasure. So Rohan, I did a quick intro there, but for those who might not be familiar with you and Davana, can you give us a uh, can you give us a thirty second pitch of of you know what's your background and uh, and then Ivana? Yeah, definitely. I was a lawyer by background. I had some chronic health issues in my past. Also, been on many holidays where I've enjoyed. A uh, good massage with my wife, and really been into wellness and well-being more broadly. Uh, I felt a while ago that there was an opportunity to build a, a marketplace, uh, not a not an everyday directory, but a a true marketplace that helped everyday Australians find the right well-being service for them and book an appointment at a time that works with their busy schedule. So that's Avana in a nutshell. In terms of our journey uh, over the last year, we've really been bringing practitioners and providers across allied health, natural health, fitness and well-being onto Avana and, and we were beginning to really scale our offering on the user side of our marketplace. And then lo and behold, COVID hit and, and, the, and the rest is history, I guess. But I'm sure we'll talk about that during the podcast. Yes, very recent history. <laughs> so, uh, that's 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 cool and so the the main target and and demographic for you are allied health professionals we're talking about anyone from from um, gym instructors to to uh, psychologists is is that correct yeah i like to think about it if you sort of draw a straight line where you've got sort of medical professions on one side and you got like beauty therapists on the other. I sort of characterize well-being as everything in between. Right. So that characterizes sort of allied health. So physiotherapists, psychologists, chiropractors. It, it covers natural health, so naturopathy, acupuncture, depending on which way you look at it, massage, day spa, and it also encapsulates fitness and yoga and, and meditation. So it's a lot of services that we cater to and we're going after and we're trying to provide a solution to Australians for. But the reason for that is because well-being means different things to different people. So we want to be a dedicated well-being marketplace. And for you, Shaheen, I don't know how you find well-being in your life, but you know maybe it's different to some of your colleagues and, and, and friends and we want to be that, that one 
one-stop shop where everyone can come and, and find that special thing for their own well-being. Gotcha. Gotcha. And as, as you said, yeah, it's for, for consumers to basically come on the platform and, and find what, uh, what kind of well-being services they're looking for. Now, I'd imagine that industry is hit pretty hard considering COVID-19. Is that, is that correct? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I think that's a really fair. Some some more than others. It's a pretty fragmented industry. You have really different socioeconomic people, you know, in different areas, you know, that fall within that that well-being wellness category as I've described it. You have allied health practitioners who, you know, who could be employing four to five other practitioners and therapists and then you have, you know, personal trainers who are just looking after themselves but the reality remains is that they all need to be in very close contact or in many cases actually touch their client and for obvious reasons that's very difficult in a, in a covid environment gotcha gotcha so what what did that i mean it's very obvious the impact on the allied health professionals what has been the impact of that on Ivana? it's been dramatic people aren't searching for those services they're not trying to book those services so our traffic has just dropped off a what's the term it's gone off a cliff gone off a cliff. Um, <laughs> it's um it's it's very difficult to sell services on behalf of these practitioners when no one wants to buy them and nor are they really allowed to um in many cases so for us it just meant as a startup we probably couldn't be as gung-ho in relation to our primary mission uh, which was one that we knew would take time and external funding we needed to find a solution to keep us alive and keep us prosperous in in the short term so that's kind of where we were where what the sort of the problem that i was struck with you know i wasn't overly enthusiastic about raising capital for any startup in this current environment. Yes, you do hear some good stories and I've seen some published on the Gross Colony um, Slack channel. But I think for most startups, I think, you know, you need to be thinking of different ways to, to grow the business uh, in these times. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very fair assessment. You're right. It's usually the terms are not as good uh, in these environments when you're trying to raise capital and, and investors are very... Investors know that, and they're very hesitant of, on, and in terms of parting with their uh, with their capital. So, what did that mean for for Ivana? What how have you tried to maneuver the company in this environment? Yeah, good question. So, I think one of the guiding philosophies behind Ivana was that we wanted to be a, a marketplace in the truest sense. So. When people think about online marketplaces, they think of Uber and Deliveroo and Airbnb uh, in the hotel and Expedia in the hotel and accommodation industry. So where it's very clear what's happening, that the marketplace or the software platform is an intermediary between providers or vendors on the one side and, 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 it, and clients or the general public on the other side. And it's very clear, you know, the connection that the marketplace is providing and the value that the marketplace is providing. And I felt that in an industry like well-being, 
where the participants on both sides were pretty fragmented. So you have participants who have, for example, you know, sophisticated practice management software on the practitioner side. Um, and then you have participants who, uh, you know, do their all their business via the phone or walk-ins or, you know, on the paper diary at the front reception desk. You have people who, you know, avail themselves of payment technologies and and other sorts of really sophisticated, you know, client onboarding software and others who just, you know, do it old school. There needed to be a way that we could really think about, especially our provider base and in the future our, our user base as assets in their own right. So there had to be services that some or all of these practitioners saw to be of value. And I and I guess early on in the Avana journey, we were always sort of talking to our practitioners and our and our customers and users on, on the booking side as to what it is that they really wanted. You know, the main part of Avana is to find the new clients, but there must be other services, right? Like in order to make a profitable business, you know, you can increase the number of clients, increase the, the revenue line, but you can also cut your costs. You can you can make more money out of your existing clients. There's all these different things. And we were finding that allied health, uh, especially, unlike medical professions, me- medical professionals are really underserviced by other service providers into the allied health industry. And we felt there was an opportunity there to really bring value, whether from by ourselves or by getting third parties who could potentially provide really valuable services. So I think philosophically, we've always wanted to be more than just a connector. We wanted to provide additional value-added services. Gotcha. And what did that what what does that mean now? Because you've you've done some interesting things in terms of serving these allied health professionals, especially and, and I think that has been accelerated during during the COVID period. You know, what how have you been able to kind of push the company forward where when all of a sudden, as you said, the traffic to for people searching for these kind of services went uh, went off the cliff? Yeah, so I think one of the things that we had heard from our providers and our practitioners was that they were really keen to provide their services to people with or persons with disability who were supported by the NDIS. And the NDIS is something which is an excellent initiative by uh, the federal and federal government. But from a provider perspective, it's really complicated. Like if you want to be someone who's registered to provide your services to NDIS participants, the actual process, even though it's got a little bit easier, is just very difficult and it's very uh, time-consuming and it's something where we felt there was an ability to bring in a professional services type experience to these practitioners who wanted to start serving these NDIS clients, in particular to help them with the registration process. So I guess from that perspective, that's where we saw the opportunity and we just went hard at it. Like we just sort of said, well, you know, there's all these things that we probably don't need to do which support the main marketplace. How about we actually test some ads first on Google, you know, see whether, you know, what the likelihood is of this business during COVID because this business, like any other business, is likely to be affected. 
or may be affected, I should say. So we should probably do some testing, see if there's any interest. And I think what we found was it was sort of a perfect storm, at least for Ivana. You know, we found that people were physiotherapists and um, other people, disability workers, finally have that time to start thinking about, hey, I can set up my own NDIS business and I can get registered. And now they actually have the time to do it, like my, like many of us. So that sort of resulted in a, in a perfect storm for us. And it's meant that very quickly something that we thought might just help us through this time is turning into a, a business in its own right. Um, right. So we've been really fortunate from that perspective. Very interesting. So what was, you know, what was kind of that, that catalyst that made you think about this opportunity in particular? Like, was there something that came about and you're like, hey, maybe we should focus on this? We've had ideas about this, you know, over the last, say, three to six months about doing NDIS registration. But we'd always thought about it as something that we would just do as a value-added service to value-added service to practitioners already listed on our marketplace. We didn't actually think about it as a standalone business, so to speak, where it is just providing generally to customers who might be looking for those services, which may or may not include allied health practitioners. So once we sort of thought about it, well, we sort of put the numbers together. We realised like while our practitioner base is strong in Ivana, it's you know, it's 1% of the total practitioners in Australia um, or, or just over 1%. But what's more compelling is that there's builders who want to get NDIS registered. There's, you know, disability support workers who want to get NDIS registered. There's all these other categories. You know, we're already doing the hard work on the service delivery side. There's no reason why we can't extend our offering to these other parties. And especially from an allied health perspective, there was an opportunity to actually use the NDIS to get them to list on our marketplace. So traditionally where it was a cost for us to acquire, they're paying us a lot of money to register them and, you know, the sale to them to get on our marketplace becomes really easy. So in terms of when the idea first, I guess, occurred to us, like we've always had the idea, but it was always we looked at it through the wrong lens, so to speak. We always looked at it as a value-added service, whereas this is sort of becoming the key offering, at least right at the moment and in the short term. But it's not an offering that's going to go away. It's going to be an offering that will continue on uh, in its own right. And it's an offering that I guess will provide us with some recurring predictable revenue, um, which is something that was very important to us also. Yeah, I, I love the f- concept that uh, that you you ran some Google ads, you had some you had some hypotheses, and you ran some Google ads, and then boom, hey, this one is is is, is seems like it's viable, and and let's double down on it. That's that's really awesome, and 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 this is very very good way of validating whether something that you're you're um, going after has legs or not the the other question that i wanted to ask is you you've kind of answered um but i'd love to dig a little bit deeper first of all it's very interesting that you've kind of branched out from uh not just being focused on allied health professionals with specifically this new vertical and an area that, that you've identified but um but yeah what would so what does long term look like do you think this is going to have even though you know you were planning on it before but with the new developments do you think this is going to have a 
a, a larger impact long term on Avana, or do you see this as something that you know is is kind of you've taken this opportunity and you are you know adding value, but really after things quiet down, you're going to be going back to business as, as usual. Good question. I think from a business owner perspective or someone who's a founder in a startup, I think there's a lot of different philosophies in terms of how you should run a startup or run a business. Like, you know, there's a traditional, I don't know if it's a traditional, you can tell me. There's a there's a traditional view that as a startup founder, you're trying to, like you said, validate hypotheses in relation to your business and sort of you're continuously testing, but you're trying to test in relation to, I guess, a single core business, like a single core offering, and that anything you're doing outside of that is a potential distraction, like that you should be doing 100% of your efforts on like the main business. And in our case, that would be the marketplace business, which is very much a traditional startup. Like it's going to take time, it's going to take money, and, you know, at the end of the day, we'll hope to be really rich and living in the Bahamas. That's right. And But then I guess there's another... I guess another perspective and that's to take a broader view as to like what you're building, uh, where the assets are, you know, what are the potential revenue streams and actually seeing what sticks, right? Like so for us, we've always sort of fallen somewhere in between both of them. Like we've been open to looking at opportunities that could be potentially add shareholder value. At the same time, we have been cognizant that we're selling a marketplace dream to our shareholders. That said, our shareholders recognise, like most other shareholders or hopefully most of the shareholders in marketplace-type businesses, that it's very difficult to actually predict revenue from month to month because it's 100%, at least our model is 100% commission-based. You know, we don't have any subscription fees. If we get our provider a booking, we charge them a commission. If we don't, then we've taken a lot of risk in building software and we're not making any money for it. So I think one thing that we were cognizant at the start of our whole process was that we need to find a way to build in some predictable revenue that can help us in the tighter months and can, uh, you know, provide some comfort to our shareholders that, you know, there is a path and that there is multiple revenue streams to support that main offering. And I, I feel like this NDIS offering has the potential to do exactly that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think you're, you're right that there are two schools of thought, but I think COVID has kind of uh, thrown a lot of things out the window. You know, I, I think there's, there's also that, that attitude that as a startup, you have to be, you have to also look at the market, right? And what are the possibilities in the market? If, if the market all of a sudden uh, changes 180 degrees, you can't just say, hey, we're, we're super focused on this and, and we're not going to look at any other options, right? Well, Rowan, that's, that's been very valuable and there, there's a lot of insights that you've shared over here. Is there anything else that, that you think I didn't ask or we didn't cover with regards to you know, pivoting as, uh, as, as, I mean, you, Ivana, has done to some degree? Or finding new opportunities, especially during these during these difficult times, that uh, that you think it's it's worth sharing with with the audience. Yeah, I'm probably interested in your thoughts as much as anyone else's. Just around, I guess, how businesses can probably approach that pivoting 
conversation and that pivoting decision and actually finding those products or services that it might actually be able to sell to its customers. So I think it's all well and good to say that, you know, Havana has come up with this sort of solution, but I think many people probably racking their brains as to what their sort of pivot could be. So I think that might be of value to, to at least your listeners. I think, you know, on, on that note, I think the, the most important thing is exactly what you did, which is, which is listening to your customers. It's, it's very hard to, to identify opportunities of growth from scratch. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've gone out and you've known your customers inside out and therefore you've known their, their needs. And there was, there was this trigger that push you of, Hey, let me, let me offer this and see what happens. You know, we've been kind of thinking about it and, and, and let's put that out and people have been requesting it. So, um, or, or there's been, some, we've, we've seen some sort of uh, demand for it. Let's go ahead and, and scratch that itch, but you're already in the market. You know, what, what's, what's interesting is there are a lot of opportunistic companies that are out there, right? Who all of a sudden are, they've never been in the industry before, but all of a sudden are starting to offer online toilet papers, right? Yeah, that's cool. But the understanding of the market is not there. You, you don't understand what, what these people need. And your example is really good because the industry has been heavily hit and you still have been able to identify because you know your customers so well, you still have been able to identify the opportunities for growth. So I think what what I would do in, in, in this situation is going back to customer base, to, to, to an existing customer base and saying, you know, what are you going through? What are the what are the issues are you having? And then trying to translate that into areas that you can address for that you 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 have the capability of addressing. Right. Rather than saying, hey, right now it's, um, you know, hand sanitizers are, 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 uh, are hot. So maybe we will go and produce those. Well, if there's very little basis and foundation there, it's going to be extremely difficult. And, and you probably would not be able to catch up with some of the players who do have the infrastructure to offer that thing. So um, that would be the main thing that I would say is, is going back, talking to customers and identifying areas that that. COVID has brought, but also falls in the circle of expertise for, for you. And, and the only way you do that is by talking to customers versus going and starting new businesses that, that one w- might not have the expertise needed in it. Yeah, good advice. I think the only other thing I would add is a lot of people have uh, other, or sorry, a lot of businesses have consultants and service providers to them and it's probably a good opportunity to actually touch base with those uh, providers and start thinking through different potential initiatives you know what are they seeing out there that might be of value to to your business and even brainstorming as to to ways that you can help them um, and in turn uh, create something new or create something different I think once this is one time where you know, services, service providers probably have a little bit more time and are willing to part with that time uh, without having to pay uh, expensive uh, rates. So I, I, for any startup owners there, I'd sort of encourage them to reach out to 
some of the service providers they've worked with in the past and just have a chat. I know people are really willing to have a chat these days. So take advantage of it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Ron, thank you again for for this session. I, 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 got, I got a lot of value out of it, and I'm sure a lot of people were listening uh, did the same thing. If somebody wants to reach reach out or want to know more about you or Ivana, what is the best way that they uh, they can do that? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure that you'll publish my LinkedIn details. Alternatively, they can send me an email and, yeah, I'd be happy to connect. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. All right. Thanks, Shaheen. Thanks, Ron. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. And for more B2B growth content, check out our website, growthcolony.org. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great day.